Welcome to the St. James Parish Podcast. Enjoy sermons, lectures, and special presentations from St. James Episcopal Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. Curious about what else St. James has to offer? Visit our website, linked in the show notes, to learn more. Good morning. So wouldn't it be amazing to find a letter like this? A letter waiting for you in your mailbox, in and among the bills and the catalogs and those incessant pizza coupon flyers. Handwritten, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith and hope and love, familiar words. Paul uses those elsewhere. That would be a darn good letter, don't you think? So encouraging, so affirming. Thessalonica was a coastal city in what is now northern Greece. The Apostle Paul helped plant a church there very early in his ministry. And despite notable challenges and even persecution, that little young Christian community was thriving, full of joy. So Paul wrote them a letter. Paul says, I see you. You're showing up. Your faith and your works and your joy are so well known that I don't even need to speak about it. Paul's intent to commend them to commend them for their demonstrated allegiance to our one and true God, our one and true God. Interestingly, only 17 years, not long, before Paul wrote that letter to the Thessalonians, Jesus had a conversation with a different group of people about their allegiance, their allegiance to the one true God. That happens in our gospel reading this morning. Jesus is in the heart of Jerusalem during the busiest time of the year. It is Passover. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but it remains totally true. Jesus is in dangerous, dangerous territory. Powerful people are out to get him, and they're trying harder and harder, and he's not backing down. Jesus isn't backing down one bit. So Jesus of Nazareth makes no new friends today. Rather, those in power are outsmarted, even a little bit embarrassed. Their deception and their malice are made all the more clear, and Jesus is surely hated all the more at the end of the day than when he got up that morning. All of this happens on a Wednesday. That means tomorrow evening, well, that's the Last Supper. And the day that we call now Good Friday is only the day after tomorrow, Verse 13, the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said, so they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Now here's the thing. The Pharisees, the Herodians, they hated each other. I mean, hated The Pharisees represented that historic, traditional Jewish leadership, striving to keep their religion and their laws pure and alive, and to get rid of, at any cost, that oppressive Roman Empire. The Herodians, though, they were political. They swore allegiance to the Roman dynasty of King Herod. They believed eh, it was for the best to simply submit to Rome. 
not to go against the grain, not to get into trouble, just to go along. The Pharisees thought that the Herodians, to use a common teenage term this day, were lame, that they'd sold out, and they hated them. The Herodians thought that the Pharisees were totally out of touch with reality, and they hated them. So these two groups that totally hate each other are here today, and they are conspiring together. Why is this? Because as it turns out, they had something in common after all. They and their institutions and even their power structure were totally threatened by one Jesus of Nazareth. So they were desperate. I mean desperate to get rid of him. They had such disdain for Jesus that they were willing to put aside these vast differences they had between them for the mutual cause of getting rid of Jesus Christ. It was Shakespeare who said, quote, misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. So these bedfellows come to Jesus today to catch him at his words. Verse 14, and when they had come, they said to him, teacher, Now, you know what it's like when somebody's buttering you up, right? So here we are. Teacher, we know that you're sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? I suspect things went silent for a moment there because in this first century place, taxation was a big, hot issue. The Roman government demanded a lot of money because the Roman government provided things no government in past had done. Did you know that the Roman Empire built 55,000 miles of roads? 700 years of building roads to different parts of the empire. Those roads were mostly made out of solid stone, The empire built bridges and aqueducts, many of which are still in existence today, lots of public buildings, roads that still exist 2,000 years later. We drive on roads here in Wilmington that were paved 10 years ago. (laughs) Then there was something called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Rome came with its vast armies. They brought in an enforced peace. So wherever you would look, not far away, were those Roman soldiers keeping an eye on what was happening. And what were they doing? They were peacekeepers. This cost a lot of money. Tell us, teacher, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, there's lots and lots of sermons out there and opinions about what Jesus does, what he says next. But before we get to that, it's pretty critical to note that this event today takes place in the temple, the great temple of Israel, Do you remember what happened when Jesus entered the temple for the first time just a few days ago? It's just a chapter ago, chapter 21. He lost his temper. He really lost it, angrily overturning the tables of those money changers in this very same place. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer, Jesus said, but you're making it a den of robbers. Those money changers was there because coins of the Roman Empire bore images Not unlike our own coins, but instead of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, Roman coins had an image of the Caesar, the one who called himself Lord or God, when that title, as the Thessalonians knew, 
as you and I know, truly belongs to our one and true and only God. Now, according to very strict Jewish law, coins bearing any image, much less the likeness of a false god, had no place, according to the law, in the great temple of Israel. That's why the money changers and the temple leadership made a huge profit during Passover off of those poor pilgrims who traveled at great distance and were forced to exchange their Roman coins for the one and only approved temple shekel. So sitting there in the temple today, Jesus asks the Pharisees and the Herodians, who are questioning him, to produce a Roman coin, a denarius, a day's wage for a worker or a soldier. And in that setting, they do so immediately. So in this moment, there is an image of Caesar, the Caesar, in God's temple. It really doesn't matter where it came from or whether it was a Pharisee or a Herodian that was holding it in their pocket. It was very bad optics. Until that moment when the denarius was produced for Jesus, he was kind of stuck in the middle of this no-win question. Because if Jesus were to say, yes, it's perfectly good and right to pay taxes to the emperor, the crowd would have turned on him a bit, even if it was true, because they hated Rome. And if Jesus were to say, no, you don't have to pay taxes to the emperor, forget about it, then the Roman government, Pontius Pilate, all those others waiting in the wings could have charged him with treason right there and right then against the emperor. What a crafty question they must have thought. But then Jesus quickly undermined their entire question by revealing them to be holding that image of Caesar's face right there in the very temple of God. On the spot, in many ways, Jesus could have dropped the mic and won the argument. In some ways, he could have avoided that difficult question entirely while still carrying the day against his critics. But then, and this is really important for you and me, he answers the question anyway. Give to the emperor what is the emperor's, Jesus says, and give to God what is God's. A very logical and reasonable and appropriate answer. It was also an awesome answer. Brilliant because neither side could disagree with what he had to say. Importantly, because also Jesus presents a new question with his answer for all of us to ponder. And it's not that we have a civic responsibility to pay our taxes. Of course we do. We are citizens of this earthly kingdom as well. I believe that today Jesus challenges us to ponder what other things we might give away in honor to the emperor to the false idols of our day, and then more importantly, to remember what belongs truly to God. What belongs to God? Everything. And if we really seriously take the claim that God is the, the rightful Lord of all of this earth and all of it and the world in it and all the people in it, then what, over, oh, excuse me, over what then is the emperor a rightful Lord? Zero. Zero. So just like that parable two weeks ago, Jesus affirms to us again today, not only with the vineyard, but that everything belongs to God. And what we have, the things we enjoy, the life we live, the grace that we have received is 100% a gift from our one true, loving, grace-offering God. These words were first spoken by King Solomon. They are echoed in the liturgy of our right one Eucharist. 
All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. So then, today can be a firm reminder for all of us to focus all of our attention and our allegiance to our one true and only loving God. So then, in Paul's words to the Thessalonians, we may be joyful like them. So then, let us continue our work of faith, our labor of love, and our steadfastness of hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace to you and peace. Amen.